0: Amen to that. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Our children are going back to Children's Church. We thank those uh, who are back there ministering. Let's consider this Lamb of God a little bit more this morning. Join me, if you will, in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you, and we simply ask that you would fix our gaze upon the one who suffered and died for us. Lord, help us not to think of this merely sentimentally. Let us think of the power of this act to take upon him hatred, shame, scoffing, violence, and to do no violence, to receive it. And bear it. What a powerful act, Lord. And Lord, help us. Moreover, to receive it as an example. This is not just the Lamb who did it for us. But he did it to show us the way forward. For our own lives. May we be so brave and so courageous to withstand criticisms and judgments and hatred of others without becoming critics ourselves, without being condemners ourselves, without hating them, Lord, may we follow the Lamb with our eyes fixed upon Him. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. So sometimes uh, you prepare a message. and moments before you're about to preach. Brother Mitch, you need to hear this. Sometimes you prepare a message and moments before you're about to preach, your worship pastor says something that you are going to directly challenge in your message. And then you go to your sister and you say, "He I, his his what he just said, I'm going to have a dispute with in my message i don't know what to do and she said change your message and i said i was here first so here's the deal brother mitch i agree with the the supposition that you put forth that jews had in their history and in their ritual Religious worship practices of Yahweh. Of the one true God. That which would make them understand. Jesus to be the Lamb of God. In a sacrificial sense. They had that. As part of the very foundation. Of who they were. The foundation of who they were was that their father Abraham was given a promised child Isaac. And in Isaac all the promises of Abraham are held. Because God said, "I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make of you a great and mighty nation and you will bless you will be blessed in this world and through you the world will be blessed." And one day The Lord said, Abraham, would you be willing to lay down your son Isaac? And Abraham woke up early the next morning with an entourage and then went to the Mount of God. He left the others of his entourage back and he and Isaac went up into the mountain. And Isaac said, we have all the stuff for a sacrifice, Dad, but I don't see the sacrificial animal." And Genesis tells us that Abraham said these words. God will provide himself a lamb. And they get up there and Isaac is bound to the altar. And in dramatic fashion, as I imagine it, at the very last moment when it was known that Abraham would take his one only begotten son of promise and entrust him to the Lord. The angel of the Lord stopped him, said no further. And behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket. God provides the Lamb. Foundational to Jewish thought, to Jewish identity. However, we know from the other Gospels that John the Baptist did not expect Jesus. To suffer and die. We know this uh, for one, because when John himself was in prison, and John is going, Hey, I was acting in the office of a prophet. I was doing what uh, what I was commissioned to do. But now here I am in prison. That's all right. Jesus is out there and he's doing the ministry and he's going on. And I was here only to prepare the way for him. But there's Jesus. But whenever John was in prison, John got a little worried, anxious, scared, afraid. Hey, I might not get out of prison. And if I don't get out of prison, that might mean that He's not really the one that I thought he was. And so John sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And they said, hey, we came from John. And John wants to know, are you really? Are you really the Messiah? Because the way things are going doesn't seem to fit our expectations. The expectations were Jesus is coming, the Messiah is going to come, and when Messiah gets here, things are going to change in a big way. Israel is going to be redeemed, rescued, restored. And with John in prison because of another king imprisoning him, he said, it's not going the way that I thought it was going to go. So with much respect, Brother Mitch, that's where my dispute comes in. And it's not a dispute that I hold alone. It's a scholarly dispute. When we read, John chapter number 1, verse number 29. And John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What did John mean? I know what you and I mean. I know what John the Beloved who penned the Gospel of John meant whenever he thought about the Lamb of God. But he's not putting forth his position on the matter after Jesus has died, after Jesus has risen from death. But I think in a, very, in a very crafty way, John is John is saying what he wants to say, but also we need to be thoughtful as we read the text and go, what did John the Baptist mean? What might he have meant? In fact, what we should understand is is, is what's what's powerful about this is, is that Jesus came to defy the expectations. Well, not to defy, but he came and defied, let's say, the expectations of those looking for the Messiah. That gives us an answer as to, why there was so much aggression, hostility. Why did his life end in death? Except for the fact that he defied their expectations. And so scholars have asked this question. Here's the other end of it. Scholars have said there's no way that John would have said, Lamb of God, and thought Sacrificial Passover lamb. Not only do the other Gospels reveal this was not in John's heart. But they make the claim, John is then now not giving us a historically accurate portrayal of John the Baptist. What if John the Baptist? Well, John's putting things in the mouth of John the Baptist before they've been revealed, and we have to also remember: not only was John the Baptist floored to find himself imprisoned and then beheaded without the Messiah being enthroned; Jesus' own disciples. Until the very last minute, none of them thought he's going to actually die. Because in their history, God provides himself a lamb. Foundational to their identity is you get very close. You get right up to the brink of death, but you don't actually face death. This happened for Isaac. This happened for Joseph. Joseph went into the pit and his brother said while he was in the pit, we're going to kill him. And then at the last minute, he doesn't die. But guess what? It doesn't get better right away. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. And every step of the way, he's at the brink. And God rescues him. We should understand that the reason why the disciples didn't really think that Jesus was going to fully suffer and die or why they were confused about what he meant by that was partly because their history was everybody gets to the brink, but God rescues them. Let's not just think about Joseph. Let's uh, continue going forth. Moses He's put in the river. Why was he put in the river? His mom wanted to rescue him. But Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He's on the brink. Let's think about Naomi. Naomi goes to Moab. Fleeing. Famine. Famine. She gets to Moab, and and things don't get better. Things get worse, much, much worse. She's on the brink. There's a little spark of hope whenever Ruth returns with her, but they don't return with much promising prospect. They're on the brink, and God rescues them. Dramatic fashion. This is how Israel's story plays out over and over and over again. At the Red Sea, we were on the brink. We thought, okay, we finally got rescued and then we turn around and there's Pharaoh's army coming after us. There's a mountain on this side, a mountain on this side, and there is an ocean in front of us. We're on the brink. God rescues us. David David's story is one that before he ever gets enthroned, he goes down, down, down. We've talked about this before it's you know most plot structures have a have a, a inciting moment, then you rise to the climax and then you come down or, or most most uh, 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 you know most thoughts of people's uh, mobility is upward. You, you go up, you advance a little bit, and you advance a little bit more, and you advance a little bit more. But scripture always has these people who defy this upward mobility model, and it always starts with downward mobility. The pit, pot house, herself, prison. Pharaoh's right-hand man. David. Slew Goliath. People are celebrating him. Saul turns an evil eye against him. David is on the run. David's not sure. He goes and he flees to Philistia. And then he flees to the Judean wilderness. And then he goes back to uh, the region of Philistia. And he's about to fight with the Philistines against his own countrymen. And then Saul is killed. And then the people come and and David returns. Ziglag might be the low moment there. And David returns. The people set him up a king. For seven years he rules over a divided nation. And then he moves to Jerusalem. And he rules over a united nation. He was on the brink on the brink not only of his losing his life but losing his character so much that he had fought so hard to preserve in the story of David is this character he will not shed Saul's blood because Saul is the king but then he's about to go to war against his own countrymen on the brink we should understand that while they should have known, should have expected at the very least to get to the brink or more that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant as Isaiah 53 reveals. We know they did not. In the Gospels, they are all shocked, alarmed, surprised. It's a radical revelation that Jesus is actually tried. And that this, uh, that this kangaroo court is actually able to get a sentence of death. It's amazing. It's radical. It's alarming. Not only does he get the sentence of death, he gets, he gets whipped with a scourge, a cat of nine tails, 39 times. And not only does that happen, he has to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And not only that, he actually gets, lays down on the cross, is suspended between heaven and earth. And not only that, he actually dies. There's no last minute ram caught in the thicket. So we. Now understand that Jesus is the ram in the thicket. He is the lamb of God. When we look to contemporary writings, and there's so many contemporary writings. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the 40s, right? Right? They have found so much contemporary writing around the the period, the the hundred or so years leading up to Jesus' life and several hundred years after. Not only do we have these contemporary writings, but even in the ancient uh, writings that were, um, if you grew up Catholic, it, it was part of your Bible, it said the Apocrypha. You knew it wasn't canonized scripture, but it was part of the book, right? And the King James Version had it up until a couple hundred years ago when they decided we don't need that to be part of it. We understand it's not canonized scripture, but it gives us good history. Because of these contemporary writings, we can assume, suppose, with uh, some some education, make some educated suppositions about what John might have meant when he said the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, in the book of First Enoch, there are a few chapters that go on that talk about these sheep that are being uh, attacked by all these birds of prey. And these sheep are giving birth to little lambs. And before the lambs can even uh, sprout horns, the vultures have come and they've eaten them. They've devoured them. And there's one sheep that try as they may, they cannot devour. Uh, And another, uh, the Testament of Joseph There is a lamb that is promised who will come and who will, with judgment and with uh, violence, he will put down the enemies that oppose him. Why bring us into this dispute? Why do that? Well, A, historically, I think it's necessary for us to understand the context of Scripture. It's always necessary for us. I don't, I don't get this idea that people say, well, we really believe in the Bible, and then you show them some historical <laughs> record that goes along with the Bible that supports it, but maybe, maybe just makes us understand something a little bit differently and people get scared. Well, I just I just trust the Bible. Well, the Bible was written in a in a real-world scenario. It's answering not just for itself. It's speaking out against other suppositions in this world. It was not written in a vacuum. It's not two golden tablets that came down out of heaven. It was the lived experience of people like you and me relating to a holy God and relating with one another. And we learn from it. But also, so to be historically accurate, I think is necessary. But also, So that we understand this beautiful thing. That the lamb that John envisioned. Was radically different than the lamb that John. Received. And this is important for us because when we look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, we have to remember that he did it like a lamb. See, in John's thought process, if he was following along with the apocalyptic vision of the lamb, the irony is that it's a weak little lamb that is able to be powerful and destructive like a lion. But in the Gospels, what we find is this one who is powerful. who who could tell the lame to walk, who could open up blind eyes, who could cast out demons, Uh, this one who who even raised children from death, sometimes whenever he went in there and he prayed over them, and sometimes with a word spoken, he said, your child shall live. This one who could feed 5,000 from two small fish and three loaves, the one who is this powerful to do those things could have, in a word, vanquished all enemies. Or, as Jesus said, called legions of angels to fight with him. But the Lamb who has The power of a lion. He. He acts like a lamb. And he doesn't get to come back from the brink. Because he's not Isaac, he's the Lamb. He's not Joseph, he's the Lord who was with Joseph. He's not Moses, he's the burning fiery bush. He's not the children of Israel. He's the blood on the doorpost. He's the kinsman redeemer in Ruth. He's the one who encourages David at Ziklach. He he is the Lamb. And while they should have known that, they did not know that. They missed it time after time after time. His disciples kept getting confused. John gets to prison and says, I don't know what's going on here. This isn't going according to plan. Are you really Jesus? Jesus? Are you really him? Even after, even after his crucifixion, whenever they begin to say, the tomb is empty. They don't go, oh, that's because he's the lamb. When they say the tomb is empty, they go, they must have stolen his body. They wanted to hurt us even more. They wanted to cut even deeper. Even when the disciples come back and they say, we've seen him, there's still at least one, if not more. And he got famous, Thomas, who said, I need to see him too. but there's more. We get to know more fully and more beautifully, I would say. What John was saying without even knowing what he was saying. The Lamb who takes away our sin. With that, you and I, you and I, you and I are called to look to him. And with that, we are called to let him set our expectations. Let him set the course for our lives. And here's what I would say. I think a lot of us fall short of doing that. Let let me give you an example. I've heard people say that I thought God loved me. But then they had a family member Die of some horrible disease. Even after they prayed and prayed and prayed. That God would heal this person. They still died. I've had people lose spouses, children, babies. And they said, man, I thought, God loved me. But now I'm not so sure. But when we look to Jesus. We find. The God who doesn't only send the lamb for us. To rescue us. But the lamb who shows us the way forward. And you and I get to say now, not God brings us to the brink, but he doesn't let anything bad happen to us. We get to say whether or not we go all the way to death, God will rescue us. You and I get to say the brink is not really a reality anymore. And not only do we get to say it in that hopeful way in those desperate moments, we get to take courage from this. And you and I get to go do some brave, bold, daring things in the name of Jesus. You and I get to forgive people who hate us in the name of Jesus. We get to learn how to love them and serve them. Even whenever they despitefully use us. Because we go, you know what? The death of my ego does not stop God's amazing grace and his awesome power. You and I can stand. In great boldness. And say. Even if death comes to me. I believe in the lamb. Who was sacrificed. And who was raised again the third day. And as Jesus says John chapter number 4 or 5, there's a day in which he will begin to speak and the dead will hear his voice. And they will be raised to new life. So I I believe that John was speaking and he was saying much more than he knew he was saying. And you and I now we get to know much more. We get to know Jesus Is really the lamb. In the context. Of the Passover sacrifice. In the context. Of the suffering servant in Isaiah. In the context. Of the ram caught in the thicket. To rescue. Isaac. We get to know that. And we get to know that. So that we can. We can shout out. Lord save me. And we have assurance. We have assurance that Jesus. He's he's gone before us to secure us. A word that says, I will save you. We get to cry out, Lord, forgive me. And because the lamb has gone ahead. We can know that whenever we say, Lord, forgive me. He will be faithful and just to forgive us but you and I also have the lamb so that whenever we are up against it in a hard season, we can go, Lord, what's the way? And he can point to the one who had the power, if you will, as a lion, but continued to act like a lamb. You and I get to know that when things don't go as we expected. Can not tell you this year has not started out the way I expected. When things don't go as we expected. We go, God, are you still there? He says, look to my son. Look to my son. I didn't rescue him. the brink. Don't think that my love for you, my love for you is revealed in rescuing you from the brink. My love for you is revealed in that I will rescue you from death. Will you trust that love? You and I get to boldly mount up With the character of the Lamb. And be patient and gentle and kind and meek and loving and loyal and careful and compassionate and long suffering and forgiving in the face of gentleness, kindness, meekness, love, loyalty, faithfulness, and also in the face of uh, haste, rudeness, hurtfulness, hatefulness, vile and violent offenses. We get to hold hope in the face of despair. We get to hold on to joy in the presence of sorrow. We get to hold on to love. In the midst of hatred and hostility. My brothers and my sisters. Know this. First and foremost. I love brother Mitch. And I hated. (laughs) The way that I had to start this sermon. But I hope. I hope that we can see sometimes the expectations are let down, but what you get, what you get in place, what God provides for us is radically better, radically more beautiful. radically more merciful, radically more gracious, radically more patient and faithful than you and I could ever dare expect. And what I would encourage us with is this. This world needs to know that there is a God who is radically above all that they could imagine. And whenever they don't know that message, when we are not living that testimony, we are falling short. So let's go and live with our eyes fixed on the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hoping in him and being shaped by him. And with that, I say, amen. Amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray and I, I ask that you would be with us this morning. That we would hear your voice. That we would see your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that whatever expectations we might have. Which might be out of balance. Which might fall short. Of who you really are. I pray that all of our expectations would be laid down on the table and we would say, Lord, you're allowed. You're given freedom to shape us, to form us. Lord, I pray and I ask that what we hope in you is not something that we imagine ourselves, but that which you reveal to us. Lord, I pray and I ask this. Whatever you reveal to us, we would know. is not only true of you, but what you want to be true of us. If you are more gracious, you want us to be more gracious. If you are more patient, then you want us to be more patient. If you are more gentle, then you want us to be more gentle. If you endure people doubting you, criticism, skepticism, judgment, hatred, hostility, then you want us to endure those things looking like Jesus. If you were about serving people who others thought you shouldn't be serving, then you want us to be serving people who people might think we ought not to be serving. If you're about welcoming, dining with people who were not welcomed at most parties, might we welcome those people? If you were not fixated on who was sitting on the throne of, this, of these earthly kingdoms, but your mind was fixed on praying, Let your kingdom come on earth and your will be done on earth as your kingdom is in heaven, as your will is in heaven. Then let us be people who are not fixated about who sits on the thrones of these worldly kingdoms. But may we be the people who pray to the one who sits on the throne of the ages. That his kingdom will come And his will will be done here as it is in heaven. And may we be the agents who live your kingdom and your will. Lord, I pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Amen. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, Brother Mitch is going to play just for a minute. And maybe even as he... It begins to sing the song. If you want to sit there and you want to reflect upon this word, what the Lord is speaking to you, I give you uh, time. Um, If you want to join in song in a minute, you can join in song. Um, But uh, know this, we love you and we are glad that you're with us today. We pray that the Lord will take everything, all of our worship, all the encouragement that we've gotten from our brothers and sisters, um, this word he will take it and he will use it in your life this week and um, that you will be equipped to live as he's called us to live Um, one brief word of announcement Um, this next Sunday I will not be with us y'all will have the pleasure of hearing from our dear friend uh, Jack Wisdom and so uh, y'all be here and y'all be praying for him as he's preparing uh, for next Sunday and then uh, on the 30th we will Uh, talk about some things going forward in this new year, and we'll have a business meeting that briefly follows our morning uh, service. So uh, be uh, prepared for that. Uh, Brother Mitch.